Good to see you in church this morning. Let's get started and uh, take your Bibles and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 8 is where we'll get back into the scripture this morning. Good to see you on a crisp, cool fall morning. I believe fall is about here to stay. It's going to be summertime this afternoon? Thank God. Let's get back, let's get back to summertime again. Amen. Uh, I don't mind a little cool nip in the air. That doesn't bother me. But I'll tell you what, uh, I know what's coming. And I, I, I dread and despise the cold weather being here. Some people cold weather people. And uh, I just, it's not me. I don't like it. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather sweat than shiver any day of the week. But uh, to each his own, to each his own. We're going to get to heaven and the temperature will be just right. All the time, praise the Lord. But until then, we'll just suffer with the seasons. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we've been looking at the thought, or, or Paul has been dealing with this thought. We're just kind of expounding on what Paul has already given us by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and that is the thought of giving graciously or gracious giving. He mentions the word grace along with the idea of giving uh, he mentions that word grace five times in this chapter. He mentions the word grace more times in chapter 8 than, than anywhere else or, or with as many more times throughout the entire book of 2 Corinthians. So Paul is dealing with the thought of giving graciously. And we've been looking at the people of gracious giving, these churches of Macedonia, these Philippian believers, and how they gave out of their affliction, out of the abundance of their joy, out of their deep poverty, they gave anyways. And Paul is holding them up as an example to show to these Corinthian believers that this is the way they need to be acting. Uh, nothing like a good object lesson to help you, to help you refocus. And so many times the Lord will give us people to look at and say, hey, uh, that, that'd be a good pattern for you to start looking at or walking like. That'd be a good person to kind of emulate or follow, if you will. And he's doing that with these uh, Macedonian believers holding them up for the Corinthians to see and understand. So we looked at the first eight verses about the people of gracious giving. But this morning we're going to jump into verse number nine. Verse nine will take up most of our Sunday school time because it's just such a wonderful little verse. One, one of these, it's one of those great little verses in the New Testament. It's one of those great verses that every believer should try and commit to memory. And it's in verse 9. There for a few minutes this morning before we move on to another point, we're going to look at, we've seen the people of gracious giving, verses 1 through 8. Now we're going to look at the pioneer of gracious giving, the pioneer or, or our pattern, the one that first showed us how to give graciously. And we find him in verse number 9. Look at him this morning, chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Paul is about to remind this church why they should give and give graciously. And the reason why this church should give of themselves, he said this church gave of themselves, and then they also gave of their treasure. And the reason why any of us should give anything to the Lord is because he first gave everything for us. Brother, anything you do for Jesus Christ 
If you do it for the sole goal that you keep in mind that I am simply giving back what he has already graciously done for me, that'll help you keep going. But if you got it in your mind that I'm, I'm doing God a real favor, I'm really, I'm really doing God a favor by passing this track out. I'm really doing God a favor by inviting somebody to church. I'm really doing God a favor by not smoking, drinking, cussing, and chewing. I'm really doing God a favor by trying to live right and do right. I'm really doing God a favor by coming to church three times a week. That, that You ain't going to last long doing things like that. But if you do what you do for this goal and for this motive, the love of Christ constraineth me. Because he loved me, now I am to love others. Because he gave to me, I'm to turn around and give of myself to others. Because I've received grace, I should turn around and give grace this morning. Jesus Christ is the initiator. He's the one that started this gracious giving. Matter of fact, your Bible says this. We love him because he first loved us. Nobody in here, not one of us, not one of us in here started loving and serving Jesus Christ just because we decided, you know what, I think it'd be a good thing to love and serve a guy named Jesus Christ. No, no, no. We heard the message of the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day and he loved us so much that he did that. And when we heard that message that he loved us and we experienced his love in our life, man, that's what got us moving. His love motivated us. I, I wish I could say that I do what I do for God based out of my deep love for him. And sometimes I do. But the truth is my love for him runs like this. And your love for him runs like this. You know why I keep serving the Lord? It's not always because I love him so much. I serve the Lord because I remember how much he loved me. Uh, that'll, well, that's what will help you keep going this morning. And Paul says, we know, or ye know, verse 9, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul describes the grace of Jesus in one verse. What is Jesus' grace? How is it described? It's described in verse 9. This is his grace. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. That's God's grace. Matter of fact, somebody coined the term. I don't even know who did this. They made an acrostic out of grace. G-R-A-C-E, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. It is God's riches at Christ's expense. Do you know how you got in on God's riches? You got in on it at the expense of Jesus Christ. Y'all, grace was free to us. Don't forget this. Understand what I'm fixing to say. Grace was free to us. But grace was not free. It was free to you. You didn't have to earn it or pay none for it. It's free to you. But it cost Jesus Christ everything. Don't, don't think that grace is cheap. It ain't cheap. It's free. But it ain't cheap. It costed. And it costed the most valuable life that heaven or earth has ever known. It costed the most precious commodity that this universe has ever experienced. The blood of God's only son. God's riches at Christ's expense. Y'all know what grace is? Grace is God giving us something that we do not deserve. That's what grace is. It's God giving you something that you could not earn and you do not deserve. 
And he said, this is what the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is. Look at what he said here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. How rich was he, preacher? He pretty, he pretty doggone rich. You say, how rich was he? Turn to John chapter 14. Let's look at how rich he was. I mean, if we're really going to appreciate, cut me down in my monitors just a little bit, Brother Mike, right here, these floor monitors, you know, my, uh, if we're going to really appreciate how much he gave up so we might be rich, if we're going to really appreciate uh, what he did for us, then we got to know how rich he was. How rich was he? Well, we'll start by showing you the place where he lived at before he ever come down here. John chapter 14, look what he gave up. John 14, 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And in that place where there are many mansions, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. In that place. Y'all, he come from a place that had many mansions in it. Look what this place looks like. Go with me to Revelation 21. Now go all the way to the back of your Bible. Look at Revelation 21. Look how rich this, this Jesus Christ was. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 10. Revelation 21, 10. Look at the place he was living at before he came to this old dark, sin-cursed world. <laughs> Man, this blows my mind that he would do this for me. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, sending, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high and had twelve gates and at the gates twelve angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Uh, come on down to verse number uh, come on down to verse number 18. Verse 18. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. The gold so pure you could see through it. It was transparent. And the foundations of the wall of that city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth the topaz, the tenth the chrysoprasus, the eleventh the jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of that city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. You know what your Bible said in Haggai chapter 2 verse 8? Haggai chapter 2 verse 8, God is talking and he said this, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. You know how rich he was? He come from a land where there were many mansions, come from a city that had foundations and walls that are just pure uh, precious stones, had a street that was transparent glass, had walls, or the street that's pure gold, transparent glass, had walls that's pure gold, gates that are made of pearl. He's rich, y'all. You know what your Bible said in Psalm? It said this in Psalm chapter number 50, I believe it was. It said that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Matter of fact, it said in another place, he said every beast 
of the forest or of the wood is mine. He owned it all. The Bible said the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Y'all talk about rich. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that he was rich? Yeah, filthy rich. You know how rich he was? I looked this up the other day. I did, I did some uh, investigative research on my own. I, I looked up how much does it cost uh, to feed a bird for one year. Like if you was going to buy a bird, how much do they say it costs you to feed one bird for one year? Just like a little small bird that you're going to keep in the house. And they say you can estimate that it will cost you about $70 a year to feed one bird. About $70 a year in bird feed to feed that one bird if you keep it. Then I looked up how many birds are there in the world what do they estimate the bird population to be? They estimate the bird population to be anywhere between 100 billion and 400 billion birds. Billion. So I just cut it in half and said, let's just say there's about 200 billion birds in the world. 200 billion times $70. You know what I found out? The richest man in this world, his name is Elon Musk. Elon Musk has $200 billion. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Listen to this. Don't miss this. I'm talking about how rich my Savior is. Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, could only feed the bird population of the world for one year with all of his money. He could feed all the birds in the world for one year. My, my Lord <laughs> feeds the sparrow every day and every year and has done it from way on back and will keep doing it way on out there. And that God who came down in flesh said this. That God who came down in flesh said this. He said, consider the sparrows. He said that God feeds the sparrow. He said, and if God takes care for the sparrows, are ye not worth much more than the sparrows? He's rich. No wonder Paul can say, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We run around wringing our hands and worried about it and don't even realize he's feeding all the birds of the world every day. And it ain't, it ain't breaking his bank. It ain't running him poor. He's rich. He's rich. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich... Keep reading our text here. Though he was rich, you know what it said after that? Yet for, I like this, yet for your sakes he became poor. Why in the world would he give all of that up? You're looking at it. That blows my mind, y'all. Go look in the mirror. You're the reason for you. He gave all of it up, turned his back on it, walked away from it just for you. One of the greatest illustrations of that that I've ever read was a true story. Back in the early 1900s in England, uh, King Edward VIII sat on the throne in England and he had never been married before and he met this woman that he loved and uh, her name was Wallace Simpson. Wallace Simpson had been divorced twice and she was not of royal blood, she was an American and King Edward VIII so loved that woman, he's told his constituents and told his cabinetry and all, I'm going to marry this woman. She's going to become my wife, my queen. 
And the cabinet and constituency said, you can't have that woman because she, one, is not of English blood, and two, she's been polluted because she's been married and divorced twice. You can't have her and keep your throne. Either you must abdicate the throne, step down to marry her, or you must forget about her and keep your throne. And King Edward VIII, without hesitation, got on the radio and sent a radio broadcast all throughout England and said that he had met a woman that he loved, and he loved her more than he loved his throne. And he stepped down off his throne, and he married Wallace Simpson. Y'all, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Stepped off the throne of his glory and dropped down in this world. Why? He's crazy about us. He loved us. God so loved the world. Man, that, what a thought. And they said this after the king had died. Years later, they lived in happily married bliss for years and years until King Edward VIII died. When he died, Time Magazine did an interview with Wallace Simpson. They came to that woman's house and they asked her, they said, why did your marriage to King Edward, why did it last till death did y'all part? Why did it last when all of your other previous marriages failed? And this was her quote. This was her quote. She said, no one ever loved me like the king did. <laughs> no one ever loved me like the king did. Y'all, this morning ain't nobody ever loved you like Jesus did. Nobody has ever shown you that kind of grace like Jesus this morning. Keep reading. Watch what it said. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich. Yeah, filthy rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. Well, how poor did he become, preacher? He become this poor. He become so poor. Now don't forget where he came from. Remember where he came from. Remember what all he owned. What all was his. Yet he shows up and in Luke chapter number 9, this is what he says. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man hath not where to lay his head. Didn't even have his own house. The God of glory that owned all that stuff that I told you how rich he was. He had to sleep outside underneath trees and wherever else he could just lay his head down. He became a rank pauper. You know how poor he was? He was so poor that when he came into this world, he had to borrow a manger to be born in. Didn't even get to be born in a house. He was, him and his people were so poor, they had to be birthed in a barn. He was so poor, uh, in fact, that he borrowed a little boy's lunch to feed himself and 5,000 people with. He was so poor that he had to borrow a boat to preach from or to get from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. He was so poor he had to borrow a coat to ride into town on when he came to die. He was so poor he had to borrow an upper room where he had his last supper with his disciples at. He was so poor he borrowed uh, Barabbas' cross to be crucified on. He was so poor, he didn't even have his own grave plot to be buried in. He borrowed Joseph of Arimathea's grave. Like the song said, y'all, the only thing I ever find that he ever bought was me. <laughs> he, he, you won't find where he ever bought nothing for himself. You'll find sometimes where he tells the disciples to go into town and purchase this or do that. But you won't ever find where Jesus himself buys anything. 
The only thing he bought was the church. He was rich. Yet for your sakes, he became absolutely dirt poor. Why? Why? Well, it's, it's in our text. Keep reading. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. Here it is, verse 9. That ye, through his poverty, might be rich. How rich, preacher? We know how rich he was. We know how poor he became. Now it said because of that, us through his poverty, we can be rich. How rich are we? Well, according to Romans chapter 8, I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. In other words, if I am a joint heir, that means everything he gets, I get in on it too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He coming back to rule and reign one day? Yes, he is. I'm going to rule and reign with him. He going to live in the new Jerusalem? I'm going to live with him. Yes, sir. Everything he's entitled to, God says, because you are in Christ, you are entitled to everything that he's entitled to. Man, stop walking around this world with your lip dragging the ground and your head poked down. You are, you are somebody headed somewhere. It ain't because of you. It's all because of him. But stop acting like, stop acting like, man, God died yesterday and everything's going, you know, just going to hell in a handbasket. It's all over with. No, 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 no. I'm preaching to a rich crowd this morning. Matter of fact, you're the richest crowd on the planet. You have experienced the riches of God's grace. See what we got right now? You know what we got right now? I'm experiencing God's riches right now spiritually. I've got his Holy Ghost on the inside. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I got a treasure inside of me. God's deposited the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. I'm experiencing the riches of his mercy and the riches of his grace. I've experienced the riches of his redemption and his salvation. But one of these days, it's not just going to be spiritual riches. One of these days, I will literally be partaker of physical riches. I mean, brother, everything he's going to get when he comes back, I'm going to be part of it. I'm going to get in on the whole thing this morning. I'll never forget when I was uh, just getting started like a lot of these young boys are. And my pastor would take me out street preaching and we would walk down. Uh, we'd all stand on different street corners, about four of us. And when the light would turn red, we'd just walk on the sidewalk when that traffic would line up, you know, for way on back up there uh, at five o'clock rush hour and just hold your Bible and your sign and you'd walk down there and just preach to them cars. And as soon as the light turned green, they started moving. You'd turn around and walk back to your station and get ready for the light to turn red again. Then you'd just go back and forth doing that over and over again. And I had a favorite song that I used to like to sing. Uh, I, I'd, I'd preach down through there and then people would look at you, you know, you don't, you just, it, it's a, it's a offense to the world. And the world looks at you like you're stupid. And what kind of ignorant fool would stand out here at five o'clock, either in the, in the heat or in the cold, and would holler at cars about a man named Jesus and how he loved them and died for them. And, you know, they just look at you stupid. And, you know, every once in a while you get a, you know, a, I appreciate you, but a lot of times you get the middle finger salute, you know, and all that kind of thing. And people cuss you out and holler at you and things like that. 
And brother, I'd, I'd turn around, I'd be walking back, and the Holy Ghost <laughs> would remind me that it, it didn't matter what they thought. I was, I was a pauper in this world, but rich in another world. And I, I'd get to singing that old song, I'm a child of the king. I'd say, my father is rich in houses and lands. And he holdeth the wealth of this world in his hands. Of diamonds and rubies, silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king. With Jesus my savior. I'm a child of the king. It goes on and says this. My father's own son. The savior of men. Once wandered on earth. As the poorest of them. But now he is reigning forever on high and will give me a home in heaven by and by. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice and an alien by birth. <laughs> but I've been adopted and my name's written down. I'm an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown. So this sums it all up. A tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still I may sing glory to God. I'm the child of the king. <laughs> hey, child of God, you rich this morning. You're a child of the king this morning. You ought to commit that verse right there to memory. That'll help you, friend. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich this morning. Don't ever poke your fingers in your suspender straps and poke your chest out and act like you had anything to do with the stature of where God has finally put you at in Christ. You didn't have nothing to do with it. I heard a fellow say one time, and he told the truth. He said, the only thing uh, that I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary for Jesus to die for me. It's the only thing I contributed. I contributed the sin that was necessary for Jesus to die for it. Other than that, all I did was just graciously accept what he was giving out. Amen. Thank God for it this morning. All right, let's, let's move on for these last few minutes that we got. So we've not only seen the people of gracious giving, and the pioneer of gracious giving. He's our pattern for gracious giving. You know why you should give? Because of verse 9. If for no other reason, verse 9 should make you want to take part in giving yourself to the service of Jesus Christ in whatever way the Lord uh, asks you to or calls you to. But then we get on down to verse number 10. In verses 10 to 15, we find the performing or the performance of gracious giving. Uh, here verses 10 through 15, Paul is writing to them and he wanted them to, to do or perform what they had promised and purposed to do. See, these people are a lot like we are. 
They're a lot like I am. Uh They got good intentions. And they have said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. But they were slack in doing what they had promised and purposed they was going to do. Now, maybe y'all ain't like that. Uh, my wife gets on me because I am a, I am a world's worst procrastinator. Do we have any procrastinators in the building that can join me? We have three or four, five, or six procrastinators. I appreciate you being honest that you're in the same boat with me. I'm a, I'm a world's worst procrastinator. There are some things that I put way up on a high priority and I make sure I take care of those things. And then there are other things sometimes, and most of the things, <laughs> most of the things that I procrastinate about are the things that my wife puts on a high priority for me to do. <laughs> and, and so... So I just don't see them as a high priority as she does. I see other things as a high priority, but she sees this as a high priority. Anyways, I'm a bad procrastinator. I'll just be honest. The Bible said confess your faults one to another. There's my fault, all right? I'm a bad procrastinator. And uh, these people were much like we are. They had promised. They had said, hey, we're going to get involved in that giving. We're going to send an offering uh, to the church in Jerusalem to help them saints. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But now almost a year has elapsed, and they still have not done what they said they were going to do. Uh, I mean, how, how, many people, how many people do you know that say, you know what, preacher? I'm going to get in church. I'm going to start serving God. You know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then here a year later, two years later, three years later, they you know, still, ain't, still ain't done what they said they're going to do. Procrastination don't just run in the Bible. It runs all the way to today. It's, it's a terrible trait that we've all got built into us and we've got to fight. So here we find that Paul is trying to goad them into don't just talk about doing something for God. Do it. Watch verse 10 and 11. We'll just read these first two verses and, and then we'll keep on teaching here. Verse 10, he said, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. In other words, he said, a year ago you had already stepped up to the plate, said you was going to do this, but you ain't done it yet. Verse 11, now therefore perform the doing of it. Do it. That is, there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. He said, hey, 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 don't just talk about doing something for God. Do something for God. Don't just say you're going to do it. Do it. One of my favorite episodes of Andy Griffith, uh, I just seen it again the other day on TV, is that episode called Man in a Hurry. Man in a Hurry is one of the same, all of them are good, the black and white ones, all of them is good, but that Man in a Hurry one, son, that one just, that just it always blessed me because it, it's got church involved in it. You know, this fellow's car breaks down. He's in a real hurry to get to Charlotte. He said he's going to Charlotte. He's got to get there in a hurry. His car breaks down. He walks into town. He can't find nothing open, and he hears the church bell ringing. Son, it'll bless your heart. Church bell's ringing. It turns out it's Sunday, and he walks to the church, and everybody's coming out of church. I just love it. Like Sunday was the day set aside to worship God. I mean... I wish we could go back to Mayberry. Yeah, things would be a whole lot better if we could just go back to that. That's amen right there. Uh, yeah, I promise you there wasn't no Joe Biden running the show in Mayberry. Amen. Yeah. It would be a whole lot better. Anyway, I mean, Gomer hadn't even come out of the closet back then, man. He even knew to stay in the closet back then. Praise God. Let's go back to Mayberry. Praise God. I mean, if they made a remake today, Gomer would be marching down the street waving a rainbow flag with his buddies and all that anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so the fellow walks into town, 
He can't get no help. He finally has to hang around at Andy's house and he's just constantly in a hurry. I need to get this done. I need to get my car fixed. I need to get this done. And Andy ain't never in a hurry about nothing. And they get done eating Sunday dinner and they're sitting on the porch and Andy's sitting there on the porch and Barney's sitting there on the porch and this fella, he's pacing back and forth and puffing on his cigar and he's just, man, I got to go, I got to go. And about that time, Barney says, uh, yep, you know what I'm going to do, Ange? He said, what you going to do? He said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to go over to Thelma Lou's and watch some TV. He said, all right. And they got quiet and he said, yep, that's the plan. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to go to Thelma Lou's and watch TV. And he says, good. I sit there a couple more seconds. He says, yep, I believe that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. Take a nap, and about that time, this old boy, Mr. Tucker, had had all he could stand. Done drove him up wall, and he finally wheels around. He says, do it, do it, for the love of Mike, do it. Go home, take a nap, go to Thelma Lou's, watch some TV, just do it. Old Barn gets up, and his eyes are this big. He says, I'll see you later, Andy, and walks off. You know, it, Barney wasn't in no hurry. This guy said, just do it. If you're going to say you're going to do it, do it. Man, sometimes I watch some of God's people, and that's what I want to say. Do it. Just do it. Quit saying you're going to do it. Do it. I want to look at sinners sometimes, and they keep saying, well, I'm going to get saved one day. No, you're going to hell is what you're doing. You better get right with God. Do it. Do it. Get saved now. Do it. That's what, basically, that's what Paul's saying here in these verses. Perform your gracious giving. Do it. Do it. Watch verse 10. He says this. Verse 10, he says, and herein I give my advice. Here's one of those good little verses where Paul is speaking by permission of the Holy Ghost. He's not speaking by commandment. He says, I'm giving my advice. Now, some people would read that and they say, well, we don't have to obey that part because it was just Paul's advice. Yeah, but you go back to 1 Corinthians in chapter number 7, and you'll find that Paul also says he's giving his advice on uh, married couples and single people and virgins and things of that nature. And he gets all the way down to 1 Corinthians seven forty, and he said he's given his advice as one who obtained favor of the Lord and that also he had the Spirit of God on him when he said it. So just because it's Paul's advice don't mean the Holy Ghost wasn't working through Paul's advice. He most certainly was. It's just as much scripture as anything else. And he says, here's, here's my advice. For this is expedient, or this is, this is good for you. This is what you ought to be doing. Who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. What's, what's good for us to do, Paul? He said, this is expedient. What's expedient? What's good for us to do? Verse 11. Now, therefore, I love these three words. Perform the doing. Get after it. You don't know how much time you got left either before you draw your last breath or before the trumpet sounds and gets you out. If you're going to do something for God or say something for God, do it. Perform the doing of it. Now watch what he says. That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. I, I, I've told you all this before and we've looked at it. It's a wonderful thing to get willing that's the first step. I think we looked at that last week, that readiness to will. They, they got willing. They got a readiness to will. They said, okay, we're going to do it. But just getting willing and just having a readiness to will, don't put action. That doesn't always put action into what you're going to do. They got willing, and when they got to the willing part, they just stopped. You can't just have a will. You've also got to have a work with the will. I mean, how many people are willing to lose weight? I mean, hey... 
How many people start out at the beginning of the year, hey, I want to lose weight. Hey, I'm going to muscle up. Hey, I'm going to get in shape. They have a readiness to will, but that performing of the doing, wait a minute. You mean I got to be at work at 7? That means I got to get up to do this before I go to work, and I got to get up at 5 if I'm going to go exercise. And I got to, uh, <laughs> I'm willing to be in shape. I am willing to fit in that pair of pants that I haven't fit in in a long time. I am willing to be, yeah, but I don't have a performance to do it. Come on now, we all, we've all been there and done that. In many things in life, it ain't just that, that's just an illustration. But, you know, we, we, I, how many of us got to place it? You know what, this year, I'm gonna read my Bible all the way through. That's a good thing. You, you heard a message, it got you willing, you got fired up, I'm gonna read my Bible all the way through. And you got started, and then somewhere around Leviticus, <laughs> somewhere around First Chronicles, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, you kind of was like, whew. <laughs> now I got, I got to be up, you know, an hour early to read my Bible before I go to work, or I get in in the evening, and I got to take a time out on watching my TV show or go work in the yard to be able to read my, you know, my Bible. There's a readiness to will, but the performing of it is a whole different thing. You know, I know I need to go to church. I know I need to be there, be around God's people. Bible commands it. I know I need something from the Word of God. I know I need to be doing that. But man, you know, I like to have my Sunday just all to myself. Sit around, watch football, go fishing, go hunting, go do whatever I want to do. Man, I just, I, man, that's, that's, well, hey, yeah. Who said living for God was easy? Uh, there'll always be a readiness to will. But brother, you got to also have some work with that. He said, let there be a performance also. Performance. Watch what your Bible said in James. Go with me to James and we're going to get close to the end here. Go to James in chapter 1. And you've heard this quoted a million times. Maybe you didn't know exactly where the reference was for it. But James um, 121, uh, verse 22 is the verse I'm getting to. But let's just look at verse 21 here. James 121. This goes right hand in glove with what Paul's saying about perform the doing of it. Let there be a performance also of it. Verse 21, he said, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, that's written words, which is able to save your souls. Now watch what he said in verse 22 about this word, this word that we read, this word that we preach, this word that we believe. Watch what it does, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know what's easy to do? Can I tell y'all what's easy to do? This is what's easy to do. I know because I live right here with y'all. I'm, I'm with you, man. I understand. This is what's easy to do, is to be in a service, hear a message that pricks or convicts your heart, and God deals with you, and you know you need to get rid of that, or you know you need to add this, or you need to know you need to start doing that, or whatever it is. And you get convicted, and man, you come to the altar, you're convinced that's right, it's Bible. You come to the altar, you pray, you say, Lord, help me, and then go out them doors and never do anything with it. That's easy to do. I'm guilty like anybody else in here. It's easy when you're here. To, man, get a readiness of will. Man, that's right. I need to be doing it. Man, that's right. I need to give that up. Man, that's right. I need to go do that. I need to. And all of a sudden, you come and get things right. But then 
Be ye doers of the word. Don't just listen. Don't just come on Sundays and Thursdays and just hear. Go put into shoe leather what you hear. Because look what it said, a man who just hears and doesn't do anything. Look what he's like in verse 23. Verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. This word of God, it's like a glass. That's, that's uh, a mirror is what he's talking about, not just a, a glass you look through, a mirror glass, a looking glass. Verse 24, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. He said it is real easy while you're reading your Bible, studying your Bible, or hearing your Bible preached, it's real easy to look in it and, and, and see all the warts that are, that are in your life and see all the things that you need to get right or see things that needed adding or needed changing. It's real easy to see that. And then as soon as you get your face and your mind out of that, it's real easy then to just go back out and be doing what you was always doing. That's why David said over and over in the book of the Psalms, in Psalm 119 and in other places, David said over and over that I, he would meditate in his law. He said, meditate in his law. He said in another place, thou, uh, Isaiah said, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Man, it's not just enough to every once in a while get some Bible in you. You've got to keep your mind in that thing. Are you liable to go back where you was before? So here we also, we've only seen this pattern for gracious giving, our pioneer, Jesus Christ, but now we've looked at this performing of gracious giving. If you're going to do something for God of yourself or whatever else, do it. Make your mind up. Ain't nothing going to stop you. Make your mind up. There ain't a devil in hell going to keep you back from doing it. Make your mind up. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Uh, make your mind up that if God has asked me to do it, then God will give me the ability to do so, and I will not stop until I've done what God asked me to do. Make your mind up. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I, I have been excited all week about just getting here this morning just to be able to deal with verse 9 about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and how you were rich and you become poor so that I could be rich. God, I, I appreciate that precious verse of Scripture. God, that's, that's one of those uh, staples, one of those anchors in our life that will help us stay grounded and centered. Father, I pray that you'd drive that down so deep in our heart we wouldn't forget it and we'd go share it with somebody else. And Help us, Lord, not to just be hearers of this word, but doers as well, to perform the doing of what you've called us to do. Thank you, Lord, for your church. I appreciate them. I pray you'd bless them this morning. Save that soul nearest hell that may come in without Christ. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.